Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 17. The title of the message this morning is United in Christ. United in Christ. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Today's message is the first of three messages that address connecting people to one another through Jesus Christ. Basically, unity. Our mission at Palm Vista Community Church is to connect people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. This is our mission statement. Our mission at Palm Vista Community Church is to connect people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. So for the next three Sundays, as Jim mentioned, we're going to explore the meaning and means of God's command for us to be connecting people to one another through Jesus Christ. The church that is connecting people to one another through Jesus Christ is a church that is united in Christ. And friends, that is God's will for us at Palm Vista Community Church. But we know that it is a battle to connect and to stay connected to one another, isn't it? We can all experience seasons of feeling weary in the battle, disconnected, a bit distant from one another. For some of us, it may be because of an offense or a disappointment. Others, it may be because of a world filled with crazy schedules and the mounting pressures to pay the bills, or simply physical exhaustion from all the above. For others still, it could be because of temptations to sinful distractions and dead-end pleasures that some have given themselves to. All these work to disconnect us. The bottom line is that we can find ourselves, metaphorically speaking, sliding in at the last minute on Sunday and rushing out at the last amen, failing to connect with those to whom God has united us in Christ. We find ourselves slowly moving out from the core to the fringe of the church. And in so doing, we are no longer connecting people to one another through Jesus Christ because we are not connecting to one another through Jesus Christ. Friends, when God blesses his people, he always gathers them unites them under his rule and care. And when a people is being judged or cursed, it always results in scattering and disunity. The enemy of our souls, the Bible calls him Satan, comes to scatter, separate, and alienate us from one another. He delights in fragmenting and disconnecting God's people from one another. But he is no match for our Lord Jesus Christ, who connected us to one another and who prayed for our unity right here in John 17, 20 to 26. So let's take a moment. Let's pray as you're turning to that passage. And let's ask God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, God the Son, that he would send God the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, to strengthen our weary hearts to understand this prayer, to receive the power that unites us in Christ so that 
We might be a church that connects people to one another through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word the way you would want it preached. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts now to unite us to be a people that are connected to one another through you. Lord, pour out your spirit. Change hearts. Build your church. May the gates of hell not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn now and read from John 17, verse 20. Jesus is praying. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these that you have sent me, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prayed for our unity. That is the main point of this text. Jesus prayed for our unity. Look at the text. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. Unity is a powerful thing. You have heard it said, united we stand. Don't sing the song, all right? We live in the United States of America. And God makes an amazing statement about the power of unity in the book of Genesis. It's in the narrative of the Tower of Babel. If you know that narrative, mankind spoke one language. They all came together to build a city, a tower. They would reach into the heavens And it says there in that text that they they wanted to build this city in this tower. Now listen, they wanted to make a name for themselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. And God came down and saw it. And he said this in Genesis 11, 6. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Amazing. The power of unity. Only this unity was for man's purposes. It was to build man's name and man's city. So what did God do? He came down. He confused their language so that they couldn't understand each other. And then he dispersed them from over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. God dispersed them because their purposes were wrong. But the unity they had was powerful. Oh, friends. Jesus comes to unite us, not to make a name for ourselves, but to glorify his name. Not to build the city of man, 
but to build the church of God. Jesus prayed for our unity right here, and he was on the way to the cross, the place where that unity would be forged. Jesus had just finished giving his disciples what's called the farewell discourse in John 14 to 16. And now he's on his way back to the Father via the cross. And he prayed this prayer in the hearing of his disciples on the night of his betrayal. But he didn't just pray for them. No, he expanded that prayer. Look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, those disciples that were around him that night that he was betrayed. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Friends, Jesus prayed for those of us who have believed the word of those original disciples passed down through the ages testifying to Jesus. Friends, this prayer is for you if you have repented of your sins and believed on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have not done that, first of all, thank you for being here. But I pray that this message today, God's word about Jesus Christ, would convict your heart of sin and give you life by the power of the Holy Spirit And you would repent and you would believe on Jesus. You see, Jesus prayed here for our unity because that's God's will. And since it is God's will, then our unity is assured in Jesus Christ. That's really good news for those of us here this morning that are a bit weary in trying to connect one another in Jesus Christ. Or for those of us who feel very disconnected this morning, very separated. Dear friend, Jesus has prayed for us to be united, connected to one another in him. So let's explore this unity that he prays for. Let's explore this unity that's ours in Jesus so that that exploration would bring faith and joy to weary hearts this morning. Point one, we begin with the basis of our unity, the basis of our unity. Friends, our unity is based on the unity of the Father and the Son. They are one. We sang about the Trinity this morning. Most of our songs were about the Trinity. That's on purpose because the unity of the Trinity, specifically of the Father and the Son here, is the basis for our unity. Look at verse 21 again, please that they may all be one, there's the prayer, just as, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. You see, the Father is in the Son performing the works that the Son does. Jesus says, I cannot do anything unless I see the Father doing it. I cannot say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. And the Son is in the Father accomplishing the works of the Father, the works the Father gave him to do. Two examples. Jesus was the Father's agent in creation. Jesus was the Father's agent in creation. John 1, 2, and 3. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Another example, Jesus obeyed the Father's will in redemption, in salvation. John 6, 38 to 40. Jesus speaking, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that day. If you're here today and haven't repented, haven't taken that look at Jesus, the look of faith that only God can give you, I pray it happened today. As I demonstrate him to you, as you see him modeled in our unity, that you would see and believe as God enables you to do so. See, ours is a unity based on receiving this self-revelation of God in Christ. When it says there in that John passage that everyone who looks on the Son and believes, when they look at the Son, they see the Father because the Son came to reveal the Father because the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. We have this unity because we are in the Son and the Father. It is who we are. It is our new creation in Christ, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, God's people, dependent on Him for our life and for our everything. Corey Smidgen preached several weeks ago a message on the one another's, and he made this statement. He said, friends, you weren't just saved to Jesus, where it says in this passage, we see him and believe, you were also saved to one another. You just weren't converted to Jesus, but connected to one another. Do you remember the illustration that he gave? If we fail to see that, if we say it's just me and Jesus, but I'm not really connected to one another, I just sort of slide in and hear a message and just slide out and not really talk to anybody. I'm not really involved in a community group. I'm not really involved in the life of the church. It's just me and Jesus. I listen to a bunch of pastors that's a, that's a really a, a, a wrong view of Christianity. And the illustration he gave is a disembodied view of Christianity, where the head is magnified and the body is this tiny little body. It's this, just me and Jesus, that's all that really matters. Do you remember the illustration? It was bobblehead Christianity. Remember he gave the illustration of that 49ers bobblehead that used to freak him out in his room? Had the little tiny body in this big head just bobbling. And that's how we are. And people look at us and say, that, that's weird. Where's the body? See, when God connected us to himself, he connected us to one another. It's easier to be connected to God. He's perfect. It's tougher to be connected to you. You are imperfect. And so am I. Okay. So how are we connected to God? If our unity is based on the unity of the Father and the Son and the fact that we're connected to the Father and the Son, if that's the basis of our unity, how are we connected to the Father and the Son? What is the means of our unity? What gets that connection done? Well, point two, the means of our unity. The means of our unity is glory. The means of our unity is glory. Not man's glory, but the glory of God. Look at verse 22. Jesus praying, the glory that you have given me, I have given them that, that, that. There's the connection. Why is that glory given? 
the glory that Jesus was given, he's giving to us, that they may be one even as we are one. God's glory enables us to be one even as the Father and the Son are one. So what's glory? What is this glory that he's talking about here? Well, the English word glory is translated from the Greek word doxa. Doxa. And this word is used to denote the visible manifestation of God to us. So glory is the visible manifestation of God to us. That's glory. D.A. Carson in his commentary has a helpful, helpful commentary. This quote, Glory commonly refers to the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelatory context. Jesus has mediated the glory of God. He reveals the Father. Personally, to his first followers, and through them, to those who believe on account of their message. We read that in verse 20. And he has done all of this. Why? That they may be one as we, as the Father and the Son, are one. There it is, the glory of God. Jesus' glory is the means of our unity. Jesus' glory is the visible manifestation of God to us. Jesus manifested God to us on the cross. See, the cross is the visible manifestation of God to us, dear friends. The cross is what reveals God's judgment against our sin and God's mercy toward us by judging Christ instead of us. The cross is the glory of God. It is because of the cross that our sins are forgiven. And we are reconciled to God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And if we're reconciled to God, we should be reconciled to one another. Friends, if you're here unreconciled, oh, may the cross lead you to reconciliation. Whether it's with your wife, your children, the person in this room, someone you work with. The cross is the power of God for salvation, uniting us in Christ. It is our life through Christ's death. God's glory is on full display in the shame of the cross. This is the glory that makes our unity possible. It is the glory of the Father revealing himself. Remember, glory is the physical, visible manifestation of God. It is the Father revealing himself to us and reconciling us to himself through the Son. Our unity is empowered. It's made possible by God's glory. We're not trying to be united here on our own strength with a bunch of manipulation and programs and techniques. We are one because of the glory of God in Christ. It's revealed in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension. There's the glory of God. It's a quick illustration. A professor one day demonstrated to his class the power of an electromagnet. He took two pounds of nails, dumped them on a metal table. Bam! The table was wired to an electromagnet. When he flipped the switch, all the nails came together, and he was able to form them into various shapes as long as the current was on. But when the current was cut, the nails fell back down into a useless pile, unable to be formed into any shape. 
And that reminds us that as long as the current of God, the revelation of His glory in Christ runs through us, we have unity and God can form us into any shape He chooses for His purposes, not ours. For His name, not ours. Friends, mankind was dispersed at Babel, like the nails lying there on that table, disconnected, useless by themselves, unable to image God. And then Jesus, He comes and unites us. He's the power. He's the electromagnet that comes and courses through us. We are saved. We are united to God. Therefore, we are united to one another through the glory of the cross that we might image Him together. Our unity is empowered by the glory Not only of the cross, that was just the beginning. Listen, this glory goes beyond that. The cross was just the beginning. It's the glory that the Father and the Son had from the beginning of time, before the foundation of the earth. I realize we're getting into some deep waters here. but It's okay. We may be snorkeling in thousand foot waters. One day we'll get scuba gear when we see him as he is. But at least we can dive down a little and look down in there. Some of the stuff's a little blurry, but we can see it's there, crystal clear water. But let's dive in there. See, the cross was just the beginning of Christ's glory. Remember, he prayed this on his way back to the Father. Back to what? Back to glory. See, the cross is just where he stopped off to pick us up. Without the cross, we're not going to see the glory of God. Jesus' death on the cross was the first stage of his receiving glory. Earlier in this prayer, he says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the earth. What in the world is that? That's this. See, he's on his way to return to glory. The very glory he had with the Father from the foundation of the earth. The glory, by the way, that he emptied himself of in the incarnation when he humbled himself. Didn't empty himself of his deity, but of that glory. See, the resurrection and the ascension are so important here. Cross is the focal point. The resurrection and the ascension. This is the glory of God. This is the glory of God. This is the glory that Jesus said he would share with us. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. He's praying. Now, when Jesus prays something, it's going to happen. He always prays the will of the Father. Listen to this prayer. It's for you. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that's us, we have been given to the Son, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. May that glory eclipse all the false glories of whatever it is you're addicted to, whatever it is has your crawl, whatever it is that you run to to find some satisfaction. May it be the glory of God in Christ. All other glories pale. They will cease. They will end. Jesus prayed for us whom the Father had given him, to be with him and to see his glory. The very glory that Jesus shared with the Father before the foundation of the earth. This is the glory of the exalted Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father. It is the glory that will be ours at his coming, friends. Look at Colossians 3, 4. Paul writing to the Colossians, pastoring their souls, Walking them through difficult times, he's about to talk to them in verses 5 and following about their sin and telling them to stop it, to put to death that sin, which included some pretty serious things. Sexual immorality, lying, coveting, idolatry to Christians. But he reminds them, before he gives them that imperative, he reminds them of this indicative. This is what he says to him. Listen, church, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Look at that. Not the glory of some pornographic image or the glory of a pile of money. Those are weak, dim, sad glories. This is the glory that unites us. This is the glory of God's self-revelation in Christ. Do you see it this morning? What, got, what has your vision? This is the glory that motivates us and empowers us through times of disunity, which I hate, and conflict, which I hate, and times where you think, is this ever going to work? Are we just a bunch of hypocrites? Are we just smiling at one another at church, but we don't even know each other? Sometimes we even hate each other. We judge each other. We write mean things on the internet to each other. We No, it's real. And this glory keeps us going. We have a real enemy. And he's in us sometimes, the flesh. And he's in the world. And so it's going to be hard. It's going to be bloody. But it's worth it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to be in the arena. And you know, some days I may fail. But the glory of God will prevail. And we will be one. We are one. We'll actually act like one. This is our hope. One day we're going to partake of this glory. This is the glory of God that Jesus promised to share with us. And this leads us to the third and final point. The purpose of our unity. If you are struggling right now with unity, if if you feel alienated and alone, if you're listening to this because you didn't come on Sunday, but you just thought you'd click on to see, but you're kind of done with church, you're done maybe even with Palm Vista, you're you're disappointed, you feel alone, I just want to say, this is not in my notes, but listen, may the glory of God in Christ come into your mind. It begins at the cross, it begins with shame, but it moves to resurrection and ascension, and there's a hope for the future. May that glory give you new hope to hang in there, whether it's in your marriage, in your parenting, in this church, in the group that you're in, your community group. Oh, go back. Let the glory of God give you fresh vision and strength and hope. Why? Because look, there's a purpose to our unity. Number three. Our unity is a unity of purpose. God's purpose. God's purpose is that His elect may see our unity and believe that the Father sent the Son and loved them even as He loved the Son. Let's go back to verses 21 and 23. 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Why? So that. Here's the purpose clause. So that. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. There it is. The world may believe that you have sent me, Father. Verse 23. I and them and you and me. That they may become perfectly one. It's a process, isn't it? So that, so that. There's that purpose clause. So that the world may know that you sent me. And he adds this. And love them even as you loved me. Wow. I love this quote by D.A. Carson. Commenting here, the thought is breathtakingly extravagant. Yes, it is. 
The unity of the disciples as it approaches the perfection that is its goal serves not only to convince many in the world that Christ is indeed the supreme locus, the center of divine revelation, as Christians claim, but that Christians themselves, we, church, have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because they are loved by the Almighty Himself with the very same love He reserves for His Son. Oh, friends, what a truth. It is hard to imagine a more compelling evangelistic appeal. Jim mentioned it. Our love for one another, those bags out there, our care for one another, it reveals Christ. This love. Do you know this love, friend? Are you secure in this love, friend? Are you content in this love, friend? Are you fulfilled in this love, friend? Oh, may we be. May that love be before us, even when others aren't loving us today. May God's love be enough to help us press through, press through the angry stares, press through the indifference, press through the 15 phone calls that never get answered, the 22 emails that never get answered, press through the misunderstandings, press through all that stuff. I know the love of the Father. I'm secure in the love of the Father. I'm content in the love of the Father. I'm fulfilled in the love of the Father. So I don't need you in the sense that I I worship you and I've got to have your love. I can serve you. We can work toward what Jesus prayed by the power and the glory of God. Friends, the purpose of our unity is to reveal God's love as we reflect God's unity and call God's people to join us in the church so that we might bear witness together of Christ. That's the purpose. Verse 25, at the end of the prayer, Jesus addresses God as righteous Father. Why? Because he's acknowledging that God is righteous, he's right, In judging the world which condemns and does not believe through its ignorance. And he's right in accepting the followers of Jesus who believe in his name. And in the very last line of the prayer, verse 26, Jesus made known to us the Father's name. This is that self-revelation of God in Christ. The Father's name is all that he is, his character, his acts. Jesus made known to us the Father's name. The Son revealed the Father as only the Son can. Friends, Jesus will continue to make known the Father's name, who God is, through us. Through us. Jesus' mission is a rousing success. This was written, this was spoken over 2,000 years ago. His mission is a rousing success. His revelatory mission continues in and through us. That's the purpose. So that the love of the Father for the Son would be in us. This is what unites us. This is what propels us to be connecting people to one another in Jesus Christ. Final statement. Our unity, our unity builds Christ's community, the church. Our unity builds Christ's community, the church, so that we can be like those nails with the electromagnet and we can come together and we can be knit together and we can be formed into these beautiful figures that people can walk by and say, oh, look, what a beautiful figure. I didn't know you could make that figure out of nails. You walk by the table and the nails are just sitting there going, ah, a bunch of nails. But if that electromagnet, boom, charges them and they come together and they sculpt them and the master sculptor is making them into the image of Christ, people come by and say, look at that, a bunch of worthless nails brought together to image that. That's the purpose of our unity. To 
Today's message is about going from fringe to core. It's about going from sliding in late and rushing out early on a Sunday, living at the fringe of the church, to moving to the core of the church, staying to talk and laugh with dear friends with whom we are connected through Jesus Christ. It's about moving from silently singing and hearing a sermon with polite strangers whom we keep at a distance to wonderfully worshiping together with dear friends who we get and do life with, and it gets messy, those who we are called to be one with because of Christ's glory, and those with whom we fulfill God's mission to bear witness to His name to a watching world. Let's pray. Worship team, please join me. Father, I pray that you would cause this message to give us courage and strength. Lord, I pray that you would cause weary hearts, uh, hearts that are, have grown weary in trying to connect, and, and it seems like herding cats. It's, it's impossible. Everybody's just running around, doing their own thing, crazy busy, barely able to go here or there, barely able to meet, and it's like trying to, to gather jello in your arms. It just keeps flopping out. Lord, may we see your glory and realize that you are the ultimate jello mold that can bring us together in the image of Christ. You are the one who can speak to the cats and, yeah, gather them. So they don't even behave like cats anymore, finicky and all into their own thing. But they really do want to come together. You are the one that can take those nails and charge them with the glory of Christ and cause them to be formed into something far more beautiful collectively than they ever are individually. This is redemption. This is the reverse of the curse at Babel. This is building your church, your city, for the renown of your name, not ours. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to do this in our church as we behold our God seated on the throne, as we behold our God and adore him, as we behold our God Nothing can compare with him. We would come together and adore him. Let's stand and sing that song as a closing.